Good morning, everybody, again. Thank you. Thank you, Nick, for that. And um, yes, some if you're newer to Renew, you know that um, we uh, don't um, ask forgiveness, we don't pass boxes or or plates or anything like that. Uh, that's between you and the Lord. If we do get to Scripture, that's when we teach on it. If there's a need, we let you know. And um, this is, again, this is just a way to update our, our system. So I'm going to pray and uh, just thank God for his His mercy and his grace. And thank you all for giving unto the Lord and that it specifically blesses this ministry. So let's pray. God, thank you so much for this time that we have to get together. And thank you for new technology that helps protect the money, Lord. And um, we just pray that uh, the money that comes in, that uh, you will be glorified through it, that we will be good stewards as we um, just bless the community and uh, just serve um, the missions field and uh, impact partners and around the world, Lord. And just thank you for the promises of uh, who you are and through your son. And um, we just pray that um, Renewed Church can be a church that's on a mission to serve your kingdom, Lord. Thank you that we're one small part of your kingdom, Lord, and that we get to play our role. And we're just, we are blessed by you. So we thank you for all the finances that, has come, that have come in and will come in and uh, help us be good stewards of it. So we thank you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Hey, so we're going to continue on in our series, The Good, Bad, and Ugly, and we are on Isaac. And they're waving at me, and I forgot the video, and I'm going to go run away now. <laughs> Thanks for waving. I'm leaving. But before they were born, their father pleaded to God that they could, um, that he'd have sons. So, and God said yes, and, um, but, um, but well, anyway, um, then once they were born, one was red, so, one was red and hairy, so they named him, um, so they named him Esau. And then the other one was holding on to his brother's heel, so they named him e Jacob. One day when Esau came back from hunting in the wilderness, he said, Jacob, I'm starving. Give me some of that red stew. Jacob said, okay, but you must swear to give me your birthright. So... Uh, Esau swore, and Jacob and Jacob gave him a piece of bread and some of the stew. Then, with then Jacob, with his brother's birthright, dressed up as him and went to his father um, Isaac and pretended to be Esau so that his Dad would bless him. Jacob and Esau. Um, Jacob liked to stay home and Esau liked to hunt. So, um, Jacob was making some food and, oh, and Esau was very hungry and 
up say before you eat the soup, I will have to um we will have to make a deal that I will be the first boy and get all the stuff. Isaac, thank you for asking to Jacob. It's exactly how you remember the story, right? Yeah. Good. Yeah. So with that, we are going to continue on. We're going to talk about Isaac and Jacob and Esau. And, and uh, I'm going to read half of the story, and then uh, we'll walk through it a little bit. So we're going to read from Hebrews 11, 1 through 3, and verse 20, and then we'll turn back to Genesis 27. So if you are able to stand for the reading of God's word, I invite you to do so. And I'm going to start at Hebrews 11. Read verses 1 through 3 and then drop down to verse 20 and then turn back to Genesis 27. And Hebrews 11 reads Faith shows the reality of what we hope for, it is the evidence of things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in the days of old earned a good reputation. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. And then verse 20 reads, it was by faith that Isaac promised blessings for the future of his sons, Jacob and Esau. And then if you turn to Genesis 27, we'll read the first 13 verses there. Genesis 27 verse 1 reads, One day when Isaac was old and turning blind, he called for Esau, his older son, and said, My son, yes, father, Esau replied, I'm an old man now, Isaac said, and I don't know when I may die. Take your bow and your quiver of arrows and go out into the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare, me my, prepare my favorite dish and bring it here for me to eat. Then I will pronounce the blessing that belongs to you, my firstborn son, before I die. But Rebekah overheard what Isaac had said to his son Esau. So when Esau left to hunt for wild game, she said to her son Jacob, Listen, I have overheard your father say to Esau, Bring me some wild game and prepare me a delicious meal. Then I will bless you in the Lord's presence before I die. Now, my son, listen to me. Do exactly as I tell you. Go out to the flocks and bring me two fine young goats. I'll use them to prepare your father's favorite dish. Then take the food to your father so he can eat it and bless you before he dies. But look, Jacob replied to Rebekah, my brother Esau is a hairy man and my skin is smooth. What if my father touches me? He'll see that I'm trying to trick him and then he'll curse me instead of blessing me. But his mother replied, then let the curse fall on me, my son. Just do what I tell you. Go out and get the goats for me. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time in your word. Thank you for your spirit that illuminates Scripture to us for our benefit to help us understand, to see you in your word, Lord. Thank you that it's true. Lord, I pray that you prepare our hearts to receive your word, Lord. And again, we're just thankful for your word and that we can go through it together, Lord. So I pray that you use me however you see fit. Whatever you want me to say, I say. Whatever you don't, I don't. We love you in Christ's name. Amen. You may have a seat. So one of the challenges that I face in preparing this series, uh, and there's been many challenges, is um, 
as I was working and getting prepared, I was considering that what would be the most difficult characters to talk about as we work through Hebrews 11, specifically when it just appears that it's ugly. And um, the first one that I knew that I would have trouble with, I assume I would have trouble with, is Samson. And I won't get into that. When we get to Samson, we'll get there. But the other one is Isaac. And, And I... When you just read that one verse in verse 20, it was by faith that Isaac promised blessing for the future of his sons, Jacob and Esau. That's it. And that's why he was faithful. And as I was considering this, I was just thinking, why is this so challenging? Why, what, what is so difficult? And at first glance, it would appear that Isaac is considered faithful because he had famous and faithful parents in Abraham and Sarah. Which obviously is not accurate because people can and may be blessed by their family, but each and every person needs to be faithful on their own in their relationship with the Lord through Jesus Christ. Now, it's obviously a benefit if you have faithful parents, a faithful family, but there's great many testimonies in Scripture and even in here in the body where that may not be the case, but yet Christ got a hold of your heart. But what I was working through and considering Isaac is what exactly was he faithful for? We haven't even read that part yet, but what exactly is he faithful for? Why is he mentioned in Hebrews 11? I mean, we've gone, we spent four weeks talking about uh, Abraham and Sarah, and we could have spent much more time and You know, we've seen the ups and downs and lefts and right turns, but we do see Abraham and Sarah be faithful. Here, in the story of Isaac, it's, there's not much there. I mean, throughout all of Genesis, he's only mentioned in two chapters, and what he's most famous for is being deceived. Second, what he's famous for is, and we didn't read it in the earlier, in Genesis 26, he dug a whole bunch of wells. And the people who owned the land said, that's my well. And he said, no, I built it. And they said, yes, uh uh-huh. And they said, nah uh And that's what he's famous for, and he's faithful. But but here's the point, really, is is considering it as we look. It's where God reminded me that some of the most faithful people do not get fanfare. And they quietly serve the Lord. And in Isaac's case, although it's painful to see... He's not actually faithful until he's much, much older. And this really should be an encouragement to each and every one of us. That faith does not have to get a lot of attention. Being faithful simply can just be between you and the Lord. And in our culture, we want credit. You know, the... I was reading a survey, because I like surveys, and do you know that more than 45% of the current generation, their goal and hope is to be a YouTube influencer? And for the older generation, you rolled your eyes and say, get a job, kid, right? To which they say, but I can make millions, and then the clash of clans, right? But really, it, it, it's, that is the hope, to be an influencer. The current generation is in a position where the hope is to talk about truth, at least their truth, and of course, you know, all that that means. But what does it mean to be successful to you? What does it mean to be faithful to you? What does it mean 
whenever I said Isaac was just an ordinary, simple guy and he wasn't faithful to the end. When you think of the word ordinary, what comes to your mind? I'm assuming, well, at least it was for me, that whenever I thought of ordinary, the things that went to my mind was an ordinary job, an ordinary wife, ordinary kids, just ordinary. And yet, what we see is that God used Isaac to pass down the blessing to Jacob and not Esau, and eventually that led to the line of Christ. So if you're sitting here this morning and thinking, well, maybe there is hope for an ordinary guy or gal like me, there is. There may be times where you feel surprised that someone would ask you to pray for them, or you're prompted by the Holy Spirit, he prompts you to pray for someone, and perhaps there was a time that you think, well, why me? Why, why do I have to pray for them? Even this week, there was a funeral this week for uh, a father of someone who attends his church. And, and um, while getting ready the last couple of weeks, I asked someone to pray for us. And they did. And later on, I asked another person to pray for us. And this person said, well, you're the pastor. And I said, but you have a direct line too. So perhaps you sit there, perhaps maybe um, when you consider just ordinary, you just can't really consider just, you don't want any attention. There's some of you that if I invited you to come up and share anything remotely, you would leave the country (laughs) and never come back. But before we get into this story, as we see this family, just the family dynamics of dysfunction, just, I want to give us a little bit of background that the kids touched on. So um, you can turn to Genesis 25, just verses 21 through 26, or 23, excuse me, 23 through 26. And this is what happened. I'll just catch us up. So after Abraham and Sarah, there was the whole thing that we discussed last week where Isaac was just about to be sacrificed by his father. And we know that story. It's a well-known story. Many years have passed now. Sarah has now died. Abraham is very old. And what he's, atten- uh, what he's seeing before his eyes is that his son is now married to a lady who cannot have children as well and has to be heartbreaking. But in Genesis 25, Isaac prays to the Lord that his wife will be blessed to have children. She gets pregnant, and there's a lot of things going on in in the womb. So she goes to the Lord and and ask him. If you have any questions, go to the Lord and ask him. We see this over and over again. The times when people get in trouble, it's because they leave God out of the equation. So she asks, and this is what the Lord says in verse 23 of Genesis 25. And the Lord told her, the sons in your womb will become two nations. From the very beginning, the two nations will be rivals. One nation will be stronger than the other, and your older son will serve your younger son. And when the time came to give birth, Rebecca discovered that she did indeed have twins. The first one was very red at birth and covered with thick hair like a fur coat, so they named him Esau. Then the other twin was born with his hand grasping at Esau's heel, so they named him Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when the twins were born. So he's 60 years old, and now he has children. 
And now as we fast forward, now obviously there's some feuding going on. And what we read in the first part of Genesis 27, essentially what's happening is Isaac is getting old and he's blind. He's starting to go blind and he thinks his life is coming to an end. He remembers the promise through Abraham to him. He remembers all of this and he's concerned. He's thinking, I'm going to die soon. Newsflash, he lives like another 37 years, but he's a hypochondriac, so he freaks out. <laughs> and he thinks, and actually really what it is, is he's coming to the point in his life, and it doesn't have to be by age, but it, it generally is. He's coming back and he's looking at his life and he's saying, have I done what I was supposed to do? I mean, if you go back and read, if you're following along in the reading card that's in the seat, you will see he doesn't even get his wife. He doesn't pursue his wife. Abraham gets him a wife. So in all intents and purposes, he's lazy. He's just there. And if you think about it, before we beat him up too quickly, I can't speak to this, but can you imagine, maybe you do know, can you imagine having a famous family member? that you're always compared to? Well, because for him, he has a famous father and mother. Then he has a son that goes on great adventures. He has a heroic grandson in Joseph. And here he is. What he's known for is his dad almost killed him until God showed up. He dug a couple of wells like I mentioned. Perhaps you've experienced this. Oh, you're, you're the son of so-and-so, or I know who your mother is, or I know your grandfather, and what is it that you do? When, when Natalie, my wife, was teaching, it was always fun for me to go back to school because everybody knew me as Mrs. Natalie's dude. <laughs> That's what they <laughs> called me. I wasn't even the husband. But that's what I was, I was not important at all. And it was, it was great. It was fine. And then eventually I was like, but I have a name too, you know. <laughs> but that's, at least, I don't think it's too far of a stretch to see that, that Isaac is now in this place. He's at the end of his life, or so he thinks. And he thinks, I have to, to do something. I, I've lived an ordinary life. It's very basic I've, I've got to do, I've got to continue this blessing that, my, that God made with Abraham, my father, that's been passed on to me. I really haven't been faithful in it. I might as well do it. So let's, let's do it. And what we did not read, and just the background, which the kids again touched on, is Esau is so worldly, he sells his birthright to his brother for a bowl of soup. And you may be thinking, well, that's lame. But really, what it, in Corinthians, Paul talks about that quite a bit, about the natural man, the, the natural man, the feed the desires. He was just hungry in the moment. And what good is a birthright if I'm hungry? I'll trade you, sure. Because in the back of his mind, he's thinking, whatever, it's just a birthright. I'm hungry now. And really, if you want to dig deep into this, we see that the contrast between Jacob and Esau is really within us our spiritual life and our physical life and how that competes to one another and, and clashes to one another. So again, here we are. He's, he's old. Isaac is old. He wants to bless him. And before he blesses him, he wants to eat. I mean, that's what it says right here. Let's just quickly, if we go back to Genesis 27, verse 2, he says, I am an old man now, Isaac said, and I don't know when I may die. 
a few decades later. Anyways, take your bow and a quiver full of arrows and go into the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare my favorite dish. Bring it here for me to eat. Then I will pronounce the blessing that belongs to you, my firstborn son, before I die. Verse 5, but Rebekah overheard what Isaac had said to his son Esau. So when Esau left for the hunt of wild game, she went and told her son, Jacob, listen, I overheard your father and what he said. So now the plot thickens. Let's go to war. Let's go to battle. Let, let's fight this. But why, why fight this? What is the deal? Why, why does it appear that Isaac loves Esau and Rebekah loves Jacob? Well, we also read that in the scripture too. If you go back again to Genesis 25, verse 27 and 28, it reads, As the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter. He was an outdoorsman, but Jacob had a quiet temperament, preferring to stay at home. Isaac loved Esau because he enjoyed eating the wild game Esau brought home. But Rebekah loved Jacob. You want to destroy a family? Have favorites. It's that simple. Now, I'm not saying that, and I'm speaking as a father here, I'm not saying that you do not relate to some of your children more than your other children. I'm not saying that there's similarities. I'm not even saying that some of your children are harder to raise than the other children. My brother was awful, let me tell you. <laughs> and I was just the best. No, that's a lie. But, but I... All for intents and purposes, not to pat myself on the back. If you look back at, just at my childhood, I was a rule follower. He wasn't. Who's easier to get along with? Same thing. We have three children, and they range in obedience sometimes, and depending on their age, and sometimes you just get along. But if you want to destroy a family, have favorites. If you want to destroy a family, show that your love for one of the of your children is greater than the other. And that's why specifically it says Isaac loved Esau. And that love is not just simply the agape love of God. It's that the Philip, the Philippi love, that, that Philadelphia love, that love of a brotherhood that Esau, he loved him because, and it says he fed him. He took care of him. But Rebecca loved Jacob. She loved the baby. And that's, where it started. But even before, at, at the beginning, when Jacob was holding on to Esau, there was, a, there was this feud. And God said that that's exactly what would happen. Now, if we go fast forward into the New Testament, into Galatians 3.16, uh, Paul points out very, something very specific that I think will be helpful for us to see here. In Galatians 3.16, he writes, and we don't have time to go over all of Galatians or chapter 3. It would have been nice. But um, it, it says in verse 16, God gave the promises to Abraham and his child. And notice that the scripture does not say to his children, as if it meant many descendants. Rather, it says to his child. And that, of course, means Christ. God has a plan. God had a plan and has a plan. And it was through this bloodline. It was very specific of, of how he was going to bless. And it went against the cultural norms. Have you noticed that in your own life? God doesn't do what the world tells him to do. He does what he has planned to do out of his great love and justice. The world says it has to be the oldest. 
Because when the blessing takes place, the blessing that Esau essentially is asking from his father is exactly the same as the prodigal son asked of his father. Essentially, I want my inheritance now. And since I'm the oldest, I want two-thirds of my inheritance right now. The other third you can leave for the, the younger brother, but that was not what God's plan was. That's why in Galatians it says, through a child, not children. God has a specific plan. Somewhere in Abraham's line, the Savior would come, and at that time they did not know when he would come, but that he would come and through one child because of this plan. The Old Testament focuses on that line. That's why when you read in the New Testament, when you read the genealogy, you read the genealogy up to Christ. So the question would be, what child would be in line to carry on the hope of the world? When someone would have had multiple children, how would it be determined? And for Isaac, Esau was his favorite. So why wouldn't God pick a skillful hunter, an outdoorsman, not Jacob, a quiet temperament? Now think about that. It makes sense. Don't you want an outdoorsman, a tough, buff, strong guy to carry in the Messiah? Not some mama's boy who likes hanging out with his mom in the tent. That's my translation. But that's essentially what they're saying, Right? But he had a quiet temperament, preferring to stay at home. So Isaac, at least in his mind, is thinking, this is my favorite son. I know how this is going to work. God, let me help you out. Dangerous words. God, I know best. I I see your big picture here. Let me help you. Let me pick the right person according to my gut, because he feeds me, is essentially what he's saying. Let me... That gut feeling, that, that in the heart, let me, let me um, pick for you. Because he, we know exactly, if we go back to Genesis 25, which we read, when, God, when Rebecca asked God, hey, something's going on in here, what's going on? And he says, the sons in your womb, verse 23 of Genesis 25, the sons in your womb would become two nations from the very beginning. The two nations will be rivals. One nation will be stronger than the other. And your older son will serve your younger son. At that moment, everyone should have, what do you mean? The younger. So right from the beginning, even before they were born, God had a plan. It was very clear. But for Isaac, but Esau's my favorite. I like what Guzik says about this. He says, when we are willing to abandon the question of right and wrong, And when our only concern is what works, and when we agree with a modern idea, as many of the churches do, we fall into the trap that we think we know better than God. And that's what we see here. So he's not faithful yet. We haven't even read the good part yet. He's not faithful and, and now they're at this point where he's going to bless him. So if you're reading a novel, if you're watching a movie, if you're going back in time, if you're thinking about this, this is when the kingdom is about, the king is about to pick the successor. He just has to do one more task. And this is actually where a lot of the um, folklore comes from uh, King Arthur. One more task, one more hunt, 
one more thing, and on and on and on. We just, just one more. Just You're almost there. And we'll see that next week that the same thing happens with Jacob. But Esau has already given away his birthright. For him, whatever. I'm the oldest. You can call yourself whatever you want. It doesn't matter. Just give me the soup. Because here it is. He only saw it, uh, his birthright as a spiritual advantage, not a material advantage. Who cares if I'm wealthy in spirit in a spiritual sense? What about the stuff? And right now, the stuff that I want is to fill my belly. That's what he sees. It's for, he, for him, for Esau, when he sold his, his birthright, who cares if I'm wealthy spiritually, if I'm poor worldly? That's how he saw it. Obviously, we know that's not true, but if we're honest and we do a self-evaluation, if we're completely honest, we, I think, as believers in Christ, we want to obviously be spiritually fruitful and faithful, but we also want to be materially faithful and have stuff. But for him, the spiritual sense, whatever, you can have it. Just fill my belly. Just whatever you want. One of the commentators that I was reading, he mentioned that Isaac's Achilles' heel was recorded for readers. Isaac's love for tasty food was repeated three times. And the word tasty food or delicacy in the Hebrew is actually, when he asked him for that stew, go make that stew, that delicacy, it's really a root word into sin. He's saying, feed my sinful nature. So whenever he sends out Esau to, to go get wild game and he asks for this delicacy, he's asking, feed my sinful nature. And later on, Solomon would warn against this fondness for tasty foods. You can look it up in Proverbs 23.3. It's the only time that that Hebrew word occurs and he warns in Proverbs 23, uh, be warned against fondness of tasty food. He's saying, be wary of fondness of filling your sinful nature. You know, it's that whole, and I, and I really spent some time trying to look to who originally said it, but there's two natures in you, the wolf and the sheep, and who are you going to feed? The wolf or the sheep? And for Isaac, he was feeding the wolf. He was so far separated from what God wanted. He knew long ago who the blessed one should be, but he didn't care. It wasn't his favorite. So as we think about this, let's just pick up the rest of the story that we didn't read. That would be Genesis 27, verse 14. So Rebecca, his mom, has sent him out, and, and she makes that thing, let the curse fall on me, because if it's just like now, and to, sorry, in verse 13, it, it's just as if it was now that if you forge a document, um, if you lie, there's repercussions. They called it a curse, especially if you're stealing a blessing. For a long time in the Roman rule, they would call it a curse. If you stole someone's property, you were then cursed. But... So verse 14 picks up. It says, So Jacob went out and got the young goats for his mother. Rebekah took them and prepared a delicious meal, just the way Isaac liked it. Then she took Esau's favorite clothes, which were there in the house, and gave them to her younger son Jacob. She covered his arms and the smooth part of his neck with the skin of the young goats. Then she gave Jacob the delicious meal, including freshly baked bread, so Jacob took the food to his father and said, My father, he said, 
Yes, my son, Isaac answered. Who are you, Esau or Jacob? Remember, he's, he can't see very well. And, and, and the reality is it's not because he couldn't see well. He was actually disinterested in his kids. He couldn't tell the difference. Verse 19 says, Jacob replied, it's Esau, your firstborn son. Or he probably, at least in my mind, I, I imagine that Jacob had more of a softer voice being inside more. I know I'm making stereotypes. And Esau was out there. So he said, um, it's Esau. or <clears throat> It's Esau. You know, like trying to play it off. He said, your firstborn son, I've done as you told me. Here's your wild game. Now sit up, eat it so you can give me your blessing. Isaac asked, how did you find it so quickly, my son? Something's not right here. And then blasphemy, then, then he lies. Jacob lies and he uses the Lord's name in vain. This is, the Lord your God put it in my path. Ooh, liar. Then Isaac said to Jacob, come closer so I can touch you and make sure that you really are Esau. So why, why all this deception? Why didn't he just say, oh, come here? Why, why would he even assume that Jacob would do this because they have been fighting all of their life. They have been combatants all of their life. They have been going to war all of their life. Here's just some cliff notes for you. When this is all taking place, do you know how old the boys are? 70. They're 70 years old. Now, who here pictured them like 18, 19, 20? Let's be honest, right? I mean... 70-year-olds don't do that, right? If you're 70, forgive me. But you know what I mean? That, that he's 70 years old when this takes place. And technically, if you, if you want to go a little bit more, there's 36 years that has passed between chapters 26 and 27. That's why it's important to study the Bible all the way through. And again, Isaac lives another 43 years after this time that he thinks he's going to die. So, and actually, if you do the math, they may have been a little bit older than 70, but you get the point. They're old guys. <laughs> Super old, Mark. <clears throat> Mark's old. That's all I have to say. Just kidding. <laughs> All right, he was very young at 70 years old. <laughs> but they weren't 20 years old. They're fighting, they're rivals. So here's a side net, here's a sermonette for you. I don't care how old you are, if you have an issue with your sibling, go fix it right away. It's not worth it. It doesn't matter if he or she is 100% wrong according to you you're losing out on a relationship. I'm not saying you have to be best friends. I'm not saying that you have to trust them. I'm saying simply you must forgive. That's what the Lord says. You must forgive. There's another sermonette. But you have to forgive. So they're 70-something years old, and they're fighting over this. So they've been fighting and fighting. So Isaac is not a fool. He knows this could be a plot. He also, with all due respect... Probably doesn't get along very well with his wife. At no point through any of the story of Isaac and Rebekah do we see a family meal of them coming together and talking this out. At no point do we see Rebekah hearing that Isaac is about to bless Esau. And she doesn't come in and say, oh, honey, 
Don't you remember what the Lord said long ago? Nothing. Nothing. All she says is, I must take matters in my own hands. And I must do this. Because this is what the Lord said. You see the danger in that? You see God's promises. You know what God's will is. You've been praying through it. But if you have to take shortcuts to get there, you're doing it wrong. So he sees this, this, he doesn't trust them. He sees that they're always um, hitting this wall, this fight, this, and he knows, he says, but are you really my son Esau? I guess we'll, we'll back up in verse 21. He says, then Isaac said to Jacob, come closer so I can touch you and make sure you really are Esau. So Jacob went closer to his father and Isaac touched him. The voice is Jacob's, but the hands are Esau's, Isaac said. The voice is Jacob, but the hands are Esau. He's com- so what is exactly going on? That something is not right. But he did not recognize Jacob because Jacob's hands felt hairy just like Esau. So Isaac prepared to bless Jacob. And one more time, but are you really my son Esau, he asked. And, and actually, in the original language, this is really an insult to, to Jacob. It's not, in English, it appears he's just asking, are you my son Esau? But really what he's saying, are you my loved son, Esau? To which I would imagine in Jacob's heart, he's like, oh, man. Like, I'm your son. But he says, yes, I am. Then Isaac said, now, my son, bring me the wild game. Let me eat it, and then I will give you my blessing. You notice, always fill my belly before I do what I'm supposed to do. So Jacob took the food to his father, and Isaac ate it. He also drank the wine that Jacob served him. Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come a little closer and kiss me, my son. So Jacob went over and kissed him. And when Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he was finally convinced. And he blessed his son. And he said, ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of the outdoors, which the Lord has blessed. So then he gives him this blessing. Verse 28, it says, the blessing from the dew of heaven and the richness of earth, may God always give you abundant harvest of grain and a bountiful new wine. May many nations become your servants and may they bow down to you. May you be the master over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. All who curse you will be cursed and all who bless you will be blessed. Here is your written contract. Here it is. Here is the will. I just signed everything over to the youngest son, essentially, if you want to modernize it. Not only all the wealth and everything, but the prestige, the title, and everything. And verse 30, soon as it, so if you picture it in your mind, again, I always do it in like cartoon form. Soon as he, he says, and all who you will be blessed. And then the scene cut scene and he breaks into the tent. He says like, no, what happened? I'm too late. And as soon as Isaac had finished the blessing, Jacob, and almost before Jacob had left his father, Esau, runs into the tent. Esau prepared a delicious meal and brought it to his father. And he said, set up, father, and eat my wild game so you can give me your blessing. But Isaac asked him, who are you? Esau replied, it's your son, your firstborn son. Well, technically not. You sold your rights. But hey, we're not splitting hairs. 
Then Isaac began to tremble. And here's the point. Here is where we get Hebrews 11, verse 20. This is how he is considered into the hall of faith. Here's the little bit of good in his life. Isaac began to tremble uncontrollably and said, then who just served me wild game? I have already eaten it and I have blessed him before you came. And yes, that blessing must stand. He trembles uncontrollably because all of a sudden he realizes the fast one that I was trying to pull on God, God got me. And he got me good. If you want to be ghetto, he got got. (laughs) He trembled uncontrollably. And technically, technically, in Jewish tradition, although they're not Jewish yet, but in the tradition, he could have erased that blessing. Depending on who you read, there's several ways that he could have reversed the blessing and then done it right according to his plan. But he doesn't do that. He said, and yes, that blessing must stand. I am no longer going to fight God. I am done being an enemy of his. That's essentially what's going on. So when Esau heard his father's words, he let out a loud, bitter cry. Oh, my father, what about me? (laughs) Bless me too. Sounds like little kids. Remember, they're a very young (laughs) 70-something. Bless me too. But Isaac said, your brother was here, and he tricked me. He has taken away your blessings. Esau exclaimed, no wonder his name is Jacob, for now he has cheated me twice. First he took my rights as the firstborn, and now he has stolen my blessing. Oh, haven't you saved even one blessing for me? Isaac said to Esau, I have made Jacob your master and have declared that all of your brothers will be his servants. I have guaranteed him an abundance of grain and wine. What is left for me to give you, my son? And Esau pleaded, but, you, but do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me too. Then Esau broke down and wept. Finally, his father Isaac said to him, and here's his blessing, you will live away from the riches of the earth and away from the dew of the heaven above. Doesn't sound much of a blessing. You will all live by the sword and you will serve your brother. But when you decide to break free, you will shake his yoke from your neck. And that is what he is finally blessed with. And they live happily ever after. But do you see this? You see how if you go back to Hebrews 11 verse 20, It reads, it was by faith that Isaac promised blessings for the future to his sons, Jacob and Esau, and he did. He did bless both of them. Now, I just want, just quickly, I just want to point out to verse 40 of that blessing. He said, you will live by your sword. You will serve your brother, which he does, and you can continue to read on, and you'll see the battles between them over and over again. But he says, but when you decide to break free, you will shake his yoke from your neck. And it happens. So Esau, his tribe, becomes the Edomites. The Edomites, you can read through the whole Old Testament. They are always controlled by Israel. Except for a little point in Second Kings, when one king is really bad, they have an upper hand, then they come back and they lose, and they're always serving, always serving, always second, third rate 
to the Jewish people until perhaps the most famous Edomite comes along. Herod the Great. Herod the Great is the one, the descendant of Esau, and he is the one that eventually becomes the one that tries first to get rid of Jesus altogether. And he's the one that is called the king of the Jews before Jesus is. Remember, the Romans are the ones who put him in complete power. Now, for the first time, he has broken the yoke from the neck. And then that's when the Jews go downhill from there. Until, you know, they come back and, and Christianity rises from there. But he does eventually break back. And that is exactly what happens. He says, if you go back one verse Verse 39, in that blessing that Isaac gives Esau, you will live away from the riches of the earth, which is true until he breaks free, and away from the dew of heaven above. King Herod never comes to know the Lord. Remember, he's the one who dies of worms. He's the one that built all of these great things. And when we go to Israel, if you join us, you will see Caesarea by the sea, and you will see Masada, and all of these wonderful, remarkable things that he actually builds And one of the things, at least, that Josephus mentions about him is he says, the yoke is finally off my neck. I'm going to continue to build. But do you see this this blessing comes? The reason why Isaac is considered a hero of the faith, although most of his life was very unappealing, not exciting, not faithful until the end. I mean, he does live another 30-something years. It's because finally, when confronted with the Lord, he said, you win. The sad thing, though, is there are people who even when they are confronted by the Lord, they still kick and scream and fight the Lord. My prayer, our prayer, is that no matter where you are at in your life, age-wise, or your walk with the Lord, you can always come back until you draw your last breath. Don't worry about how much fanfare you will get, how much accolades, the title you get, what you will have. It goes back to a quote from Colin Smith that what faith does, he says, faith submits to God even when his plans is not what you would have chosen. Because it's about being faithful to the Lord when you're confronted with him. And we're all here this morning confronted with him. So I don't know where you're at with the Lord this morning. I don't want to assume even if you're a follower of Christ, if there's something that you are trying to do that's that you're trying to help God out. He doesn't need your help. He just wants you to be faithful. Just walk in step with him, no matter where you are at. And also, the sermonette, if, if there is any family strife or issue, be the first one to go back. I, I mentioned it last week, some of the things that I mentioned in um, wedding ceremonies is have the good sense to be the first one to say, I am sorry, you are right, and forgive me. Wear them as close as you are wearing your ring. And start with the Lord. Ask him to reveal to you what it is that needs to be right. We're going to receive communion this morning. You are invited to join us in receiving communion if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. 
If there's anything going on in your life, pray to him. He is faithful to reveal it to you. And even if you feel so far away, be like Isaac and at the very end say, no more running, I am yours. Let's pray. God in heaven, thank you for this time. And Lord, sometimes we read a story like this and all kinds of emotions are brought out about it. Good, bad, indifferent, and ugly, Lord. Sometimes we look at stories like this and see families that are so burdened and broken. It reminds us of our family, Lord. And for some of us, we can read the story and praise you that we don't think that our family is this bad, but yet we are sinful, yet we need you. Lord, I pray that you speak to all of us, Lord. May we um, stop running from you. May we stop trying to help you help us, Lord. Let us be faithful, Lord. Let us stay in your word, your revealed truth, Lord, through your spirit. Pray for anyone who um, is at the point with Isaac that needs to say, no more running, no more. I'm yours. Lord, and I just pray that you prepare all of our hearts to receive communion and what that represents, the death and burial and resurrection of your son Jesus, Lord. Lord, you made a way when there was no way. Thank you for the reminder that communion represents. So Lord, as we sing a few more songs to you, will you speak to our hearts right where we're at, Lord. Lord, we're thankful for who you are and what you do in our life. We love you in Christ's name. Amen.